Okay, praise the Lord. You may be seated. It is so great to worship together. Um, such a blessed time. Well, I'm going to be doing announcements today. Both of our announcers are in the children's ministry. Uh, they are excused, by the way. <laughs> okay, well, if you're here for the very first time, you're a special guest. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, things are kind of um, beginning to wind down, right? People are starting to travel, uh, go on vacation, uh, go back home to see families. But we're so glad you could join us today. If you are new, uh, you're a special guest. So please, if you can, uh, go to the welcome table in the back and grab a Connect card, fill it out. Uh, turn it in, and that's just a very simple way for us to stay in touch with you, uh, let you know what, what's coming up in our church. If you're joining us online, want to say welcome, uh, please go to our website. It's going to be thepromisechurch.cc, a little different, not .com, but cc, Charlie, Charlie. And if you go to our homepage, you'll see new here, click on that, you'll see the same form, an e-form, fill that out, and we'll stay in touch with you. Um, just a few announcements, but uh, first we have a church retreat coming up. Very excited, but it's going to be in about two months, a little under two months. It's going to be in February uh, 9th through 11th, and we're going to be spending an entire weekend together. We actually haven't had a weekend re uh, retreat in a long time, uh, ever since COVID, even a little bit before COVID. Uh, so we're very excited to resume our weekend retreats. We're going to be going to Oakland Conference Center, which is only like about 40 minutes from here in Yucaipa. Uh, we're going to be talking about engaging your oikos. So the entire theme of the retreat is going to be on outreach, evangelism. Uh, we have a wonderful guest speaker. He's somebody I just met recently through our denomination. Uh, but he actually led his entire church from not reaching out to their oikos to now their entire church regularly does that. And I heard his testimony. I wanted him to come out and share from the word uh, how he did that. So looking forward to that. Uh, his name is Pastor Willie Behrens from uh, Crosswinds Church nearby. But please come out. Um, if you haven't gotten our email already, then you can easily uh, get our email by signing up, uh, fill out the Connect card, and you'll get all the information. I think we even sent out a FAQ uh, about all the different questions people might have. Uh, the early bird is going to wrap up in about a month, so you definitely want to sign up in the next month. I think by mid-January, the early bird is over, and you're going to pay more. So, so consider coming out and signing up. All right, um, next announcement is Christmas service. Uh, we're gonna be having Christmas service next Sunday right here. Praise God, we're not in the parking lot like the last few years, but we're gonna be right here celebrating together. We don't make that big of a deal for Christmas service, not like Easter. Easter is a much bigger service and outreach for us, but we still want people to invite out their friends uh, for Christmas. I know people are traveling. I know that you might have things with family, but regardless, if you're, if you're going to be in town, if you're going to be coming to church, bring your family and friends, and please uh, worship together as we celebrate the birth of Christ. But it's going to be right here, same thing, 1030. Uh, the children are going to be joining us for family worship as well. But that'll be next Sunday, right here at 1030. Uh, two more. Uh, we have prayer gatherings every Wednesday as well, so please join us. We're going to be meeting uh, through the holidays, so please join us. Uh, we might not be meeting the week between New Year's, Christmas and New Year's, but we're going to be meeting every other week besides that. But please join us every Wednesdays at 7 p.m. on Zoom. We're going to be praying uh, continuously for ourselves, the church, our city, the nation. We pray for everything. So please come out. It's a very blessed time. And then finally, uh, Street Promise Fellowship. This is our new outreach into the immediate area in downtown Riverside. But we started in the summer. We started doing this again in the fall once a month. But basically, we go out and we, 
we do a Bible study. We uh, invite people out to um, do a Bible study. We give them a meal. We pass out care packages. We give them resources, and we fellowship and pray. And it's a really rich time. We receive more. We actually learn more from the people we meet on the streets than even sometimes they learn from us. A lot of them are actually believers, and so we get very encouraged. Um, and, and others aren't. But please come out. Uh, it's going to be on January 6th, 10.30 to 12. Um, again, if you don't get our emails, you can easily get our emails through filling out a Connect card, and you can sign up. But that'll be on January 6th, 10.30 to 12. We meet right here, and then we go out into the area uh, for our street outreach. Okay. With that, uh, open up your Bibles to Genesis 28, 10 through 22. Genesis 28, 10 through 22. All right, praise the Lord. You might be able to tell, but I have a slight cold. I don't think I'm contagious, but um, yeah, my voice is kind of gravelly today, so I'm going to take it a little easy. Who knows, I might start, start shouting <laughs> for no reason. But, uh, but Genesis 10, 28, verse 10. We encourage you to bring your Bibles, but if you don't have your Bibles, you'll see it on the screen behind me. And if you're joining us online, you'll see the passage on your screen at home. Genesis 28, verse 10 through 22. Okay, this is God's word. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night. Because the sun has set, taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep, and he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had placed under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give a tenth, a full tenth to you. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we give you all the glory, and we thank you so much for uh, just this Wonderful opportunity yet again to come and worship you. Thank you for your presence that is here. Uh, Father, be with those who may already be away, Father, for winter break, uh, especially the students. And I pray that you would uh, be near them as well and that you would minister to them wherever they may be. Father God, speak through this word today. Open our hearts wise that we may worship you, that we may encounter you in the same way Jacob did. We thank you, Lord. We trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Well, during this Advent season in the weeks leading up to Christmas, we've been on the Emmaus Road, amen? So this is what we've been focused on. We are looking at the Emmaus Road from Luke 24. And the Emmaus Road is basically this event that happened after Jesus died and rose again. But he met a pair of disciples walking on this road, and these disciples were very discouraged. They were very hopeless because they saw Jesus, their rabbi, their Lord, crucified on a Roman cross. But they didn't know that he had come back to life. So here's Jesus. He met them on this road. And then through a course of a few hours, he relit a fire in their hearts for Christ. So they went from hopeless and discouraged to now burning in their hearts for Christ. And this transformation happened as Jesus fellowshiped with them, but, it, but in particular, it happened as he opened the Old Testament scriptures to them, and he showed them in the scriptures how it all pointed back to him. So the disciples said in Luke 24, 32, did not our hearts burn within us while Jesus talked to us? on the road while he opened to us the scriptures. And so that's, in a nutshell, what the Emmaus Road is about. We already looked at that two weeks ago. And what happened to these two disciples is really what I'm praying will happen to us during this Advent season. Perhaps it's already happening as you're seeking Christ on your own, as you're reading the word. But I'm praying that we're going to fellowship with Jesus in the same way that these disciples did and that as we do, we're going to see him open the scriptures to us, especially the Old Testament, so that we would see Christ. So that we would see Jesus in all the scripture, especially the Old Testament. So last week, we actually began doing this. So we're not going to be in Luke 24 again, but we're going to actually be looking at, for the remainder of this month, Old Testament passages that point to Christ. And so last week, we started doing this by looking at Genesis 3, and we saw how Jesus is the true and better Adam. And everywhere Adam, the first Adam and Eve, fell and failed, Jesus, the last Adam, came and succeeded. So we saw that. Well, today I want to see Jesus in a different context. But I want to see him as the true and better Jacob. And in particular, the true and better Jacob's stairway. So this is the passage we're going to be looking at in Genesis 28. And this is the, the, the new picture of Jesus. It is Jacob and his stairway. So then who is Jacob? Some of you guys know, maybe even have a kid named Jacob. But who is Jacob? Well, Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. And Abraham was a very special man because he was the one man that God chose out of millions upon the earth to receive the incredible promises of God. So God met Abraham late in his life, and God gave him incredible promises to give him a very specific land. And so this is actually very pertinent even today, as Israel today is fighting over this piece of land. Somehow this is all kind of connected to that. But God promised to give Abraham a very specific land, and then he promised to turn Abraham into a great nation on that land. And through his descendants on that land, Abraham will one day become a great blessing to all the nations. Who is that? That's us. So this literally has eventually reached us. So through Abraham and his descendants on that land, they're going to be a blessing to all the nations, which is us. And eventually, all of that came true through the birth of the Messiah, Jesus, 
who was born out of Abraham's descendants and born on Abraham's land. And now through Jesus, all the nations of the earth are being blessed. And that's why we're here. We are the recipients of that blessing. Because we believe in Jesus now, all the blessings of God in Abraham are now ours. So Abraham is very important. He is the great father of our faith. And this Abraham had a grandson. Amen? So he had this miracle child, Isaac. And then after Isaac was born, later Isaac had two sons. One of them was Jacob. So Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. And yet, Jacob was a deceiver. And he was a fugitive. So in our passage in Genesis 28, when we meet him, Jacob was running away for his life. But basically, he ran away from his older brother Esau and his dad Isaac. And the reason is because earlier in Genesis 25 and 27, Jacob tricked his brother and he tricked his dad. And he basically stole Esau, his brother's birthright, as the firstborn son. And Esau was very carnal. He was unspiritual. So he didn't care about God's promises. He didn't care about his birthright. We'll look at that more later. But Jacob knew that, and so he tempted Esau to give away his birthright as the firstborn son in exchange for a pot of stew. And so Esau basically said, take it. And so that was huge. And the reason is because God's incredible promises to Abraham were passed down to his firstborn son, Isaac. And then they were going to be passed down to Isaac's firstborn son, Esau. So the incredible blessings of God that eventually would bless the whole world, it's even blessed us today, that was going to be passed down through the firstborn sons. And so Esau was right in line to receive it, and yet Jacob wanted it. He wanted it bad. And so he had no other way of getting it other than to trick Esau and give away his firstborn status. And so then Jacob, after tricking Esau, received it. And then he deceived even his own dad, Isaac, to bless him with all the promises of God. And so you can read all of that. That's in Genesis 25 and 27. But this is Jacob. He is the great deceiver. Well, not the great one. The great deceiver is Satan. This is the little deceiver. Jacob, he's the little deceiver. So now after Esau found out what had happened, naturally he wanted to kill Jacob. And so now Jacob, the deceiver, was a fugitive. He was running for his life. And so here he is now. He's in the middle of nowhere. He's running away from his family. He's running away from his land, the land that God had given to his family. But where was he going to go? Where would he go? He has not a penny to his name. He's a fugitive. His family is not going to receive him. Well, through the urging of his mom, Rebecca, Jacob decided, I'm going to go to my uncle Laban. So he had an uncle who lived off the promised land, a distance away, and so he decided to go there through the encouragement of his mom, Rebecca, and he was hoping once he got there, he would escape his brother's wrath, and he would find a wife. So this was Jacob, and he was not in a good place. He was surrounded by uncertainty, like so many Christians can find themselves, and yet he wanted the right things, right? He was pursuing the right things. He wanted the blessings of God. He wanted the promises of God, although he was trying to get them through his own efforts. He was a striver. He was always striving. He was trying to make things happen on his own. And so here's Jacob, and you could say that he has spiritual goals, but he was using very unspiritual methods to reach them. So Jacob has spiritual goals, 
but very unspiritual methods to reach those goals. And that sounds a lot like many churches and Christians today. But when I look at what's happening with a lot of believers, that's exactly what I see. They know the Lord Jesus. They know the things that God has for them. And yet they pursue them in ways that God didn't prescribe. And so this is Jacob. You know, a lot of times I hear people calling our generation the Joshua generation. But maybe we're more the Jacob generation. Okay, maybe that's who we are. But we are the Jacob generation. With spiritual goals in front of us and yet pursuing them in a very unspiritual way. So Jacob was defined by this, and he created a big mess, and he had no idea where this was all headed. And so here he is in the middle of nowhere. He's a pilgrim. He's a fugitive, and he was fleeing for his life, and he decided to stop near this little town, and he got sleepy, and it was getting late, and it was dangerous to travel at night. So he decided, you know what? I'm just going to sleep right here, right here in the open field. So under the stars, he grabbed a rock, put it under his head, maybe rolled up a little, you know, cloth, put it there. And then he went to sleep. And that night, God met him in a dream. God met him. And in that moment, his entire future changed. But more importantly, Jacob changed. So again, think about this man, right, who deceived his family, angered his brother, stole the blessings of his brother, ran away from home, and yet God met him, and when God met him, he changed. But Jacob went from a deceiver to now he's becoming Israel. He's going to become the father of this great nation, Israel. In fact, later, Jacob's name was changed to Israel by God. But this is where it all began. So what was it exactly that transformed Jacob in the single night? In this one night, it all started to change. Well, like I just said, God met him in a dream, amen? But it was more than just God meeting him. But when God met him, God began to pour out his grace upon him. And every single time God meets a person, that is always what begins to happen. God begins to pour out his grace upon an individual. And so this is what happened to Jacob. God met Jacob on this night in a dream, and grace began to pour down upon his life. And when you look at the dream, if you were to go back and look at it carefully, which we will, God's grace was really centered on this stairway to heaven. There's a very terrible song by Led Zeppelin called Stairway to Heaven. It's a good song sounding, but it's actually very bad, like, meaning. But this is, I think, where they got it from. But, but stairway to heaven, this is the true stairway to heaven. But God's grace was really centered on this stairway to heaven that connected heaven and earth. But it was really a stairway of grace. A stairway of grace. And this stairway of grace represented three different things. It's all found in that dream. But it represented the gateway to God, the promises of God, and then the presence of God. Very, very important. But the gateway to God, the promises of God, and the presence of God. All of it was represented by this stairway. So first, the gateway to God. Before anything else, this is what the stairway to heaven represented. So if you look at verses 10 through 12, it says, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun has set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. And behold, the top of it reached to heaven. And then behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So here, Jacob clearly 
dreamt about a ladder that connected heaven and earth. Now, the ladder is not the most important part of the dream. Clearly, that is God himself. God is the most important feature of the dream. And yet, the ladder is a key part of the dream as well. It is a key feature of the dream. And the Hebrew word for ladder only appears once, only one time in the entire Old Testament. It appears right here. So this is a very unique, very significant thing. God never mentions this thing again in the Old Testament, but it only appears once here. And this ladder in the Hebrew is probably better translated as stairway. A lot of Bible scholars say that. But it's probably closer to a stairway than like a wooden ladder, right, that you would climb to get to the roof of your house. And the reason why is because it says here that the angels, a stream of angels were ascending and descending on it. It's kind of hard to do on a ladder, right? So think about this stream of angels going up and down, up and down. It was probably more a stairway. Another reason why it's probably more a stairway is because the Hebrew word that's translated as ladder in the ESV is a word that is very similar to the Mesopotamian word for stairway. So there's actually another word in a different closely related language, and that word means stairway. And this Mesopotamian word actually describes the stairway on a ziggurat. Many of you guys might have seen ziggurats if you've seen pictures in the Middle East or even in South America, but these are these large structures that were meant to look like a mountain. They look like pyramids or like a mountain. And there's a staircase that goes right up the middle, and at the very top of the structure is a shrine or a temple where the God or the gods are supposed to dwell. And so human beings can meet God or the gods right there as they climb up the staircase and get to the top. But the Mesopotamian word that is very close to this Hebrew word, that's what it's talking about, a ziggurat. So the ziggurat might give us a very rough idea of what this stairway might have looked like that Jacob dreamed of. Now, it's not the same thing as a ziggurat because... In Genesis 28, all the description given of this ladder is not the same as a ziggurat. It's very different, right? But we might have a close kind of rough picture of what it might look like. So imagine kind of like a big building with a stair going right up the middle to where God is. Well, anyway, regardless of what it looked like, this is Jacob's stairway, and it connected heaven and earth. And the steady flow of angels going up and down the stairway represented the constant spiritual activity between heaven and earth. Did you guys know that? That there is a constant activity happening between heaven and earth, even right now. I believe that there is a constant interchange happening, a constant activity between heaven and earth happening, especially as people gather to worship God. But all of this was possible because of this stairway. But here's the most important function of this stairway but it gave direct access to heaven and to the God of heaven. So this is the first point. But this is what the stairway represented. But it represented the gateway to heaven. This is what Jacob called it in verse 17. This is the very gateway to heaven. He saw this stairway. It led right up to heaven. And since the very beginning of time, human beings have always tried to gain access to heaven and to reach God or the gods who dwell there. And why? The reason why is because human beings from the very beginning is because we are created in the image of God. The only religion at the very beginning of mankind was the true religion of Yahweh. Over time, it got perverted and many false religions multiplied. But in the beginning, 
people knew the true God, Yahweh, and they knew that where he is is where all life is. That's where abundance, that's where blessings, that's where it all is. It's in heaven where God dwells. And so human beings have always sought to have access to that, even if that heaven is here on the earth. They always wanted to gain access to this heaven where God or the gods dwell. And they have tried to gain access through their religion, through ingenuity, through their own efforts. And why? So that they would bless themselves. And so when you look at the life of Jacob, this is exactly who Jacob is. But Jacob wanted access to God and to heaven so that he could bless himself. That's why he was a deceiver. It's the only way he knew how to bless himself. So Jacob is a clear picture of that. But there's an even clearer picture in Genesis, which is the Tower of Babel. Bible scholars often say that the Tower of Babel is actually the exact counterexample to Jacob's stairway. But the exact opposite of Jacob's stairway is the Tower of Babel. But in Genesis 11, you read about the Tower of Babel, but basically humanity at that time all spoke one language and they all came together and they decided in verse four, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. See, kind of like Jacob's stairway, let's build something ourselves that'll reach heaven to the very top where God is. So all of humanity, speaking one language, came together. They started building this tower. Maybe it was a ziggurat. Maybe that's what they started building. But the point is, they wanted to bless themselves. They wanted to build their own access, their own gateway to heaven, in order to get to where God is so that they could bless themselves. And all of it was rebellion. It was an affront to God. So in judgment, God came down and stopped the project and then scattered them. He confused their language. That's why it's called Babel. They started to babble. And they got scattered. And yet, unfortunately, human beings have never given up on this project. But human beings, even after that, even after God judged them and scattered them on the face of the earth, in their hearts, they are still trying to build that tower. Why? So that they could bless themselves. And so to this day, continuously, people are trying to bless themselves by building their own towers. And so you see this clearly, especially as you move on from Genesis 11, you see it in Jacob's life, and then you particularly see it in Esau's life. But Esau, we saw earlier, he stupidly sold his birthright for a bowl of soup, right? Well, in that moment, he lost all the blessings of God, all the promises of God that should have been his and went to Jacob. And then he later married a Canaanite woman who made life miserable for his mom and dad. And so now things were really bad. Okay, it's like one bad choice after another, even as he's trying to bless himself. So then Esau really tried to get back into his mom and dad's favor to try to get back the blessings of God that he forfeited. And so you know what he did? He went and married an Ishmaelite woman. So first he married a Canaanite woman. That was no good. So now he's like, you know what? I'm going to try to make things better. I'm going to marry an Ishmaelite woman. And who were the Ishmaelites? Well, the Ishmaelites came from his grandfather, Abraham's illegitimate half-brother, Ishmael. But Ishmael was still outside the promises of God. So here's Esau trying to make things better, trying to regain the blessings of God, but it's still no good. Right? It still fell short. And so Esau represents every natural man today, even today. Even the religious person. How many guys know that Esau grew up in a family of faith? He grew up in a Christian home. 
I mean, his grandpa was Abraham. His dad is Isaac. He grew up in a family of faith. And yet because of his wayward heart, he just went in this natural direction. He rejected all the promises of God. But yet here he is trying to regain those blessings, but it's all in his own efforts. And all of it fell short. Just like the Tower of Babel. People cannot bless themselves. Well, Jacob was not much different. But Jacob, his twin brother, was also striving to bless himself. This is so clear as you read the entire story of his life. But like I said earlier, he was a deceiver. And so here he is, you know, he didn't have quite the muscle that his brother had. God didn't bless him in that area. But he did have the brains. And so he was using his ingenuity, his cleverness, to try to trick his way into God's blessings. And unlike Esau, he knew where the true promises of God were. He wasn't like Esau, who had no idea. He knew where the promises were. They were with his grandfather Abraham and with his father Isaac. He was no dummy. But he tried to gain those promises. He tried to get those blessings on his own. And where did it get him? It tore his family apart, and now he's running for his life, right? So again, clear picture, you cannot bless yourself. No matter how much you try to build your own tower, you cannot. It will always fall short. And so you see that with the Tower of Babel. You see that with Esau. Now you see it with Jacob. And this is man in his heart, always trying to build their own tower, always trying to bless themselves, always trying to access, find that access point to that place of blessing, that place of heaven where God dwells, even if it's here on earth. And yet only until Jacob had his dream did all of that come to an end. It was only when Jacob finally had his dream and encountered the living God. All of that blessing himself and trying to strive on his own, all of it came to an end. So God appeared and showed him once and for all, you cannot bless yourself. You cannot. You cannot access heaven and what I am offering to you on your own. Okay, this is the first thing that that stairway represented. Okay, this is God's gateway. This is not the gateway that you have made for yourself. This is not the tower that you're building. This is my gateway. It came from heaven down to earth, not from earth up to heaven. Amen? And so it is literally the opposite of the Tower of Babel. So here is God revealing this truth to Jacob. Okay, I will come down to you and give you this gateway. You will not bless yourself. You know, a few years back, I read an article online on what people want in life. And this was not a Christian site, but it was pretty honest. It was pretty typical of what you see out there. But the author did a survey of, a seven, of 700 people, and this author just asked one question. But she asked, if you could say in one word what you want more of life than anything else, what would it be? Another way to say it is, if you could just choose one blessing in your life that you want more than anything else, what would it be? And so she sent the survey out, 700 people replied, and here are the top 10 answers. The top 10 answers in order. Number one, happiness. Number two, money. Number three, freedom. Number four, peace regarding identity. Number five, joy, especially joy at work. Okay, I want joy, fulfillment at work. Number six, balance between the things they need to do and things they want to do, but I want to have a balanced life. Number seven, fulfillment. For example, through reaching your potential, serving others. Even if it's good things, right? I want fulfillment. Number eight, confidence 
in my abilities. Number nine, stability regarding finances and the future. Number 10, passion, especially in their work. So work came up twice, actually. But these are the things that everybody wants. These are the blessings that they're striving for more than anything else. I'm sure as I read through that, a lot of them probably resonated with you. And in this article, after mentioning each answer, the author described the challenges that people face in getting them. So it was very honest. It actually rang true. But she acknowledged that sometimes the challenges are so great, it's nearly impossible to obtain these blessings. So for example, she said, happiness has become so hard to achieve and even harder to maintain. In my work with professional women, I've seen that happiness continually escapes them. So she she acknowledged No matter how much you strive, yes, these things are important. They're going after them. In fact, all of us are going after them, but they elude us. It's very hard to actually achieve these things. And yet, at the end of the article, she encouraged people, don't give up. She said, I quote, what what can you do this month and this year to finally achieve these things, (laughs) right? So after she went on and on about how hard it is, how you can't achieve these things, how difficult it is, in the end, nothing changed. She's like, but you should still go after them, right? And so people were still left going after these blessings that they ultimately cannot get. Why? Because nobody can bless themselves. Nobody can bless yourself. And on the night that God appeared to Jacob, even Jacob learned this truth. But the stairway represented the one and only gateway to God and all the blessings that God alone can give And God wanted Jacob to know that it will not be yours by striving and conniving. That is not how you're going to get God's blessings. That is not how you're going to enter into my realm of spiritual peace and blessing and promise. Even your religion, even coming from a Christian family, all the things you might do, that will not get you what you want. Then what will? Only one thing. Humbly coming before God's gateway. Amen? You must come to him. You must come on his terms and to his gateway. Ed Clowney, he said, God alone establishes communication between heaven and earth. True religion does not come from man's quest, but from God's intervention. That is so true. It does not come from man's quest, but from God's intervention. Everything else is the Tower of Babel. So brothers and sisters, we face the same choice that Jacob did. But every day we have this choice to build our own tower and bless ourselves, which we cannot do no matter how hard we try, no matter how much you strive, whether you're religious or irreligious, whether you're moral or immoral, no matter what you try to do, whether you pursue your career, pursue family, whatever you're doing, if you try to bless yourself, it's Tower of Babel. It will be the Tower of Babel. Or, so that's one choice, or you can humbly come before the only true gateway and stairway to God and his blessings, which is Christ. And in our passage, Jacob saw God's stairway for the first time, and he humbly accepted it. This is why he began to change here. This is why he went from that striving deceiver to, in a few chapters, Israel. He humbly, for the first time, recognized, oh, God, you come down to me. It is your stairway. It's not my tower. It is your stairway. And so in our passage, Jacob saw it and he humbly accepted it. What about you? Amen, brothers and sisters? During this season, are you striving? I mean, what's going on? Right? Are you busy? I mean, 
I mean, be at peace. Stop your striving. Come humbly before the Lord in his stairway. Okay, number two, Jacob's stairway also represented the promises of God, not just the gateway to God, but the promises of God. Look at Genesis 28, 13. So this is the dream. He's still dreaming. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I'm the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the nations or families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. So here he's dreaming about the stairway, right? And at the very top, behold, this God. God himself is right there at the top. And then in rapid fire, God begins to reaffirm every promise that he gave to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, and then Jacob's father, Isaac. But point by point, God begins to reaffirm every promise in rapid fire. So God first reaffirmed his promise to give Jacob land. Jacob and his descendants land. And then God reaffirmed his promise to give them descendants like the dust of the earth. And then God reaffirmed his promise to bless all the peoples of the earth through Jacob and his descendants. And then God, one more, God affirmed to be with them wherever Jacob and his descendants went and to fulfill every promise. So this is glorious. This is amazing. But this is the full contract. This is the small print, all of it in one place. But this is everything that God had promised to Abraham and Isaac. And now he was making that promise to Jacob. Okay, everything Jacob has strived to get. Right, even to the point of ripping apart his family, deceiving his brother and dad. I mean, he wanted this so badly, and yet God appears and says, no, I'm going to give it to you. You're not getting it through striving. I'm simply going to give it to you. So what an awesome declaration from God to a man who tried to get the promises on his own. To a man who had become a fugitive because he tried to get it on his own. And now he was facing a very uncertain future. To that man, God appeared and he affirmed every promise. It is yours, Jacob. So God was showing Jacob that the stairway was not only a gateway to God in heaven, but it was also a gateway to all the promises of God. This is how you're going to get all of my promises. Do you see this stairway that came down from heaven? You didn't build it. I gave it to you. And through this now, this access point, you're going to receive all the promises of God. But let me ask you this. Why should this gateway to all of God's promises be given to Jacob? Okay, why Jacob? Okay, there is nothing about Jacob that I can see that deserved this access to all of God's promises. If anything, it almost seems unfair, right? I mean, why Jacob? Why are you giving this to Jacob? I mean, hmm, let me guess. He uh, deceived his brother. No, that's not a good reason. He deceived his dad. No, that's not a good reason. He ripped his family apart. No. He's selfishly trying to get all these things for himself? No. What is it about Jacob? I mean, it almost seems unfair that this incredible access to all of God's promises was given to him. Well, the only explanation is it is the grace of God. This is an incredible picture of grace. You know, the great theologian Meredith Klein, he said the words I will give you in verse 13, he said they mean Jacob 
like the builders of the Tower of Babel, had been seeking to scale the heavens through human genius. But here he discovered that the heavenly presence descends with help for the helpless as a surprise gift of grace. Okay, that's what those words, I will give you, mean. God appeared at the, top, at the top of that stairway and said, I will give you these promises, Jacob. In that single moment, Jacob realized, you know what? It's not going to be me and my cleverness. It's going to be a gift of God's grace. God appears to the helpless to help them. So God revealed the stairway to heaven and affirmed his promises because of grace. Amen? It's because of God's grace. And it had to be God's grace because Jacob had no redeeming quality. He did not deserve this. As far as I can tell, okay, when I went back and reread the story of his life, the only quality that I could see in Jacob that brought him to God's grace is he wanted it. That's the only quality I could see. But he badly wanted it. God said in Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That was Jacob. So he was a deceiver. He was self-centered. He didn't care about his brother. I mean, terrible, right? And yet he had this one thing about him. He just wanted it. He wanted God. He wanted his promises. And that brought God's grace to Jacob instead of Esau. Jacob desperately wanted the promises of God and the blessings of God. Esau, on the other hand, couldn't care less. And because of that, Hebrews 12, 16 called Esau a profane person. Profane. You know profanity? Profanity is when you like cuss and swear. Well, then what's a profane person? It's not a person who swears. It could be. But a profane person is someone who is unspiritual, godless, could care less about the things of God. Is a person who lives with no regard for God. His only concern is for this world. That is a profane person. And Hebrews 12 said, that's Esau. That's Esau. The opposite of that are all the saints in Hebrews 11. These are the great men and women of God throughout history who lived by faith in God's promises, who even rejected the world and what the world offered, even suffered on behalf of clinging to God's promises, and yet they wouldn't let go. That is the opposite of the profane person. But Esau, he was profane. He was unspiritual and godless at heart. And it showed up in three different ways, but just quickly. They all start with the letter C. But Esau was profane and unspiritual in these three ways. First, he was consumed with the affairs of the world. Consumed with the affairs of the world. It says in Genesis 25, 27, Esau was a skillful hunter a man of the field. So it's a short description of who he is, who he was. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but this was more than a hobby or a career. This was his identity. He was obsessed. You could call him a workaholic. This is the person who just works and works and works, and this is all he ever did. That's all he was concerned about. And so Esau was a man consumed with the affairs of this world. He had little time for God, little time for church, little time for anything spiritual. Bible, I don't know. I'll get to that later. This is Esau. He was consumed with the affairs of the world. Number two, the second C, he was controlled by natural appetites. Controlled by natural appetites. When Jacob, knowing who Esau was, wanted to steal his birthright, right? One day he came back from hunting. He's obsessed with that and he was just famished, hungry. And Jacob basically said, hey, I'll give you this pot of stew. I know you're famished if you give me your birthright. And do you know what Esau said? This is what he said, Genesis 25, 32. I'm about to die. (laughs) 
Who cares about my birthright, right? What use is a birthright to me? And then Jacob says, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and stew. And Esau ate and drank and rose and went away. And Esau, right there, was possibly the stupidest man in the Bible. He became the stupidest man in the Bible. And the reason why is because he was so controlled by his appetites, he could care less about the infinitely valuable promises of God that were his by birth. They were already his, and yet he couldn't care. And so here, this is a picture, a very powerful picture of how sin is not just immoral, but sin is stupid, <laughs> right? It's not, I don't know if it's an amen, you can say amen, but, but sin is stupid, you know, elsewhere, the Bible says in Proverbs 6.32, a man who commits adultery has no sense. He destroys himself. In other words, adultery, a man who leaves his wife and family and, and hooks up with another lady or vice versa, a woman who does that with another man, it's not just immoral, it's stupid. The Bible is saying it's just stupid. It's like a man or woman who sets their own house on fire, a house that God gave to them, a beautiful house. But why would otherwise intelligent people act so stupidly? Okay, I'm not putting down Esau and his IQ. I'm not saying he was actually stupid in his intelligence. But why would otherwise intelligent people act like this? Well, it's because of their natural appetites. They have no control over them. Okay, this was Esau. This is what made him a profane man. So not only was he consumed with the world, he was controlled by his carnal appetites. And then finally, number three, he was callous. He was callous to God's inheritance and God's promises. And in a single moment, he was ready to trade it for something just brief, a momentary fulfillment. So it says in Genesis 25, 34, because Esau did that, he despised his birthright. Now that doesn't mean Esau literally hated his birthright, but what it means is he cared about it so little along with God's promises attached to it. He cared about it so little he treated it as if he despised it. He's like, whatever, take it, right? I want stew. You know, I remember back when I was a college pastor, I literally saw this. I hope this brother is not in the same place. But the student came to our church. He started attending. But then a little afterwards, he met with me and he's like, you know, Roy, um, I think I'm going to stop coming to church. And the reason he gave is because he said, I'm really busy starting this pyramid scheme with my friend. And if it goes well, I might not even finish college, right? This was a way to make a lot of money really fast, possibly illegally. And so I got very concerned, and I met with this brother, and I told him, you know, um, money comes and goes. Eternity is forever. And I told him, I remember telling him very directly, you know, one day you're going to die and face Jesus. You don't want to do this, right? You don't want to just throw away your life for something like that. And you know what he did? I, I remember. He literally heard me say it, and then he just shrugged. He said, yeah, I don't have time for that right now. And then he left. And as far as I knew from what I heard, he pursued that pyramid scheme. And so people do this. Okay, they are callous to the things of God, and this was Esau. So he was consumed by the world, controlled by his carnal appetites, and he was callous to the things of God, and for all of Jacob's falls, he was not like that. Okay, that's why I'm spending time looking at Esau, because Jacob was not like that. Okay, given all the immorality and deception in his life, Jacob was not like that. 
But Jacob was not controlled by his appetites, but he was willing to be patient, even if it was conniving. But he was willing to wait. I'm going to get what I really want. He was not impulsive. He was also not callous to the things of God, but rather he desperately wanted God's promises more than anything. Maybe he grew up listening to his mom, Rebecca, talking about the promises, talking about the great stories of how even his father was born out of a miracle. His grandfather, Abraham, was 100 years old. His grandmother, Sarah, was barren, and yet they had Isaac, his father. Maybe he grew up hearing these stories. He just wanted this. He wanted the promises of God. And even though he tried to get them through deception, God saw his sinful and yet earnest heart. This is the point. God saw his heart. And so God gave Jacob what he so desperately wanted. It's not because he deserved it. This is grace. Amen? So do you see how much God just pours grace upon people? No matter what you have done in your life, no matter all the flaws in your character, all the sin in your past, if you will just seek him, if you will just desire him and the things that he offers, look at how much he's willing to overlook and forgive and still bless. This is Jacob. Jacob received the glorious promises and blessings of God. In fact, Jacob's name is one who wrestles with God. That's what Israel means. His name went from deceiver, Jacob, to later Israel. Israel means one who wrestles with God. And he wrestled with God. A few chapters later, it says he wrestled all night with the angel of the Lord, which is the pre-incarnate Jesus. But he wrestled with Jesus all night long. They had a wrestling match. And, and Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Amen? That's how bad he wanted it. He knew. He's like, yeah, I'm a deceiver. I tore my family apart. I'm, you know, probably not a great person. And yet, I'm not going to let you go, God. I want you. I want you to bless me. And then eventually Jesus did with an injury. <laughs> he dislocated his hip, but he blessed him. He's like, you can have it. And yet, brothers and sisters, we have a much greater stairway than Jacob, amen? We do. We have a much greater stairway than Jacob. We have a much greater access to all of God's promises than Jacob. Promises that are even bigger than the promises to Jacob. And yet, how many Christians today have the same heart Jacob does? Or did? How many people? How many of us here have the same heart Jacob had? I will not let you go until you bless me, God. So Jacob knew. In that dream, he knew the stairway was a gateway to God and a gateway to all the promises of God. So that changed him. It was God's grace. Okay, it wasn't going to be his striving, him building his own tower. It was simply him just not letting go. Okay, I, I'm just going to cling to you, God, until you bless me. And then finally, Jacob's stairway represented the presence of God. It represented the presence of God. So earlier in the dream, Jacob saw the stairway to heaven, and he saw God standing at the very top of it. And this entire passage climaxes with that vision of God. If you were to go back, look at verses 12 through 13, there are a series of behold is a very important word. But behold, and each one gets shorter. Each statement after behold gets shorter than the previous one until Jacob finally sees God. So look at verses 12 and 13. It says, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, and behold, the Lord stood above it. So do you see that? Behold, the ladder. Long description. Behold, angel. Shorter description. Behold, God. All of this pointing to God. 
And so this vision of God himself was the climax of the dream. And when Jacob saw God, the living God himself, that changed him. That impacted him. And we know why. Because after Jacob woke up, the first thing he mentioned was not the ladder. He didn't mention all the promises he received, but he mentioned God. God is in this place. He talked about God's presence. So look at Genesis 28, 16 through 17. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. Do you see that? Jacob's not even thinking about those promises or the ladder. He's like, my goodness, God is here. Didn't, didn't know it. But this, in fact, is the house of God where God dwells. So God's presence impacted him so deeply. He even changed the name of that little town from Lutz to Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. Now, I don't know if anybody else continued to call it Bethel, but Jacob did, and now everyone else does. But it was changed to Bethel. So ultimately, this is what transformed Jacob once and for all. But Jacob met the living God. He came to know the presence of the living God in a very personal, experiential way. In fact, if you were to look at Jacob's entire life, his life was bookended by encounters with the living God. This is the first time he met the living God. And then later on, as he's coming back now as a wealthy man, he found his wife, he left his uncle's home, and now he's coming back to meet Esau at the end of his life. And then he encounters God again. That's when he wrestled with the angel of the Lord. But his life is bookended, beginning and end, with encounters with the living God. This is what changed him. This is what made Jacob go from deceiver to Israel. Israel. By the way, Israel, earlier I said it's one who wrestles with God. But you know another definition of Israel? It's the one who sees God. That's another definition. So Jacob went from deceiver to the one who wrestles with God and then saw God, right? That's Jacob. He became Israel. And so brothers and sisters, this is what changed Jacob. This is what made him the patriarch. Eventually he became the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is what made Israel Israel. If you were to read all through the history of Israel, this is what marked them as separate from all the other peoples of the earth. But it was God's presence. And that's why every single time God threatened to leave Israel because of their sin, they begged God, no God. Moses begged him in Exodus 33, no God, if you leave us, how will people know that we are different? We'll distinguish us from the other peoples of the earth. It's only you. So let me ask, if that is what made Jacob Israel, if that is what made Israel Israel, then what makes the church the church? Brothers and sisters, what makes us the church? Is it because we have a little sign that says Promise Church? We have a website? What makes us the church? Is it even the word? Yes, that's part of it. Is it his gifts distributed throughout the body? Yes, that's part of it. Is it his mission that we're on? Again, part of it. But what really makes us the church? It is God in the midst. Amen? We are the people of God. God dwells in the midst of his people. That is what makes the church the church. A.W. Tozer, famous pastor in the 1900s, he said the presence of God is the central fact of Christianity. At the heart of the Christian message is God himself waiting for his redeemed children to push into a conscious awareness of his presence. It's God. God is in the midst. And God speaks through his word. God ministers through the body. 
God sends us out on mission, but it is God. God is here. And so without God, we're not even the church. But with God, we will be the true church. Amen. This is what made Jacob Israel. This is what made Israel Israel. This is what will make the church the church. And so when you look at the entire story of redemption, it's not really paradise lost and then regained. You know, a lot of people describe it like that. That's not true. It's really God's presence that was lost and regained. It is all about we lost God, but now we have God again. And so this is the final thing that Jacob's stairway pointed to. But it is access to God himself, brothers and sisters. Okay, what will ultimately bring you to God? Okay, what's going to impact your life so much that when you leave from this place or leave from this season of coming to promise or whatever, what's going to leave a lasting impact in your life? Is it going to be that random illustration I shared that one time or that event you went to? Those things can help, but it's going to be ultimately you encountering God through a variety of ways, through the preaching of the word, through fellowship of the believers, through discipleship, through serving. But whatever it is, it is you encountering God. Amen? You must encounter God. I don't know how else to emphasize this. If you don't have God, you have nothing. You only have religion. And so when God appeared to Jacob and revealed that stairway, he was saying, come to me. Ultimately, this is a gateway to me. This is my dwelling. My presence is here. You come to me. And so Jacob did, and he went from deceiver to Israel, the one who sees God, wrestles with God and sees God. And brothers and sisters, we're going to come to a close very soon, but we have a much, much better stairway. We have the true and better stairway, which is Jesus himself. See, Jacob, he was transformed by encountering God through just one dream. But we don't just have a dream, but we have the living Christ. We have Jesus risen and now in our midst. We have such a better and truer stairway. But Jesus, this is one of the few times where Jesus pointed directly to an Old Testament passage saying, this is me. One of the very few times. But Jesus said this in John 1, 47 through 51. But he said, I am Jacob's stairway. But let me read this. But it says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and he said, to him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He talked about himself. So clearly Jesus was pointing to that story of Jacob's stairway and saying, this is me. He was implying that all throughout this little passage. Because right when Nathanael approached Jesus, Jesus said what? Here is a Jew with no deceit. And right away you should be thinking what? Oh, is that a reference to Jacob? Jacob was a deceiver. But here is a better Jew than Jacob. I think that's what Jesus was implying. Here's Nathaniel, a better Jew than your forefather Jacob. Jacob was a deceiver, but you have no deceit. And so already we're kind of prepared for something else. And then Jesus gave the punchline. You're a better Jew, Nathaniel, than Jacob, your forefather. Well, here, let me give you a picture of a better stairway than Jacob's stairway. Because you're a better Jew than Jacob, here's a better picture of a stairway to heaven 
than Jacob's dream. It's me. It's me. And so he pointed to himself saying, I am the true and better stairway. So Jesus, everything we just talked about, Jesus represents that in the truest and better way. But Jesus said in John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. See, Jacob just dreamed about a gateway that led to God. And he believed by by faith, one day, maybe I'll enter that gateway one day. But Jesus says, no, right now, if you have faith in me, you can enter now. I am that door. Jesus also said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So not only am I that gateway, but if you enter that gateway, that stairway is going to lead straight to who? The Father. Just like Jacob's dream. God the Father was right at the, the top. But Jesus is far better. Why? Because Jesus is saying you can experience him now, not again one day in the future in some abstract sense at some unknown time. But Jesus is saying right now you can know me. You can know me and you can know the Father if you put your faith in me. I am the door and I am the way. He also says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God, or Paul said it, all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So again, Jesus offered the promises, the very same promises that God offered to Jacob, but this is better. Why? Because it's not just some verbal promise that you're going to just take God on his word, but Jesus paid for it with his very life, and then he rose again from the dead. I like what one pastor said. He said, the death on the cross was God's payment for these promises. The resurrection was the receipt. So Jesus gives you both payment and receipt for every promise is guaranteed. You come to faith in me, you believe in me, they're all yours. Guaranteed. I paid it, here's the receipt. Amen? So much better than this kind of vague notion that Jacob had. Yes, I'm just going to trust God on his word. Jesus came and paid for it. And then finally, John 1.14, it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then many years later, after Jesus died and rose again, before he ascended to heaven, he said, Go into all the nations, make disciples, teach them everything I commanded you, baptize, and I will be with you forever, to the very end of the age. So Jesus is with us forever, amen? So do you see how much greater his presence is even here today? I don't know if Jacob continued to experience God's presence. I assume he did. Maybe Jacob thought it was periodic, but now for us, every single day, we can fellowship with God. We are in the presence of God because of Christ. So Jesus is the true and better stairway to heaven. And brothers and sisters, when did this stairway touch earth? Kind of like an airplane that flew from heaven and then the stairway, you know, the staircase came down. When did it touch the earth? Christmas. It came on Christmas morning. So with that, the last point, I just want to go through it with you as we seek God in prayer. But Jesus is here. He came on that Christmas day, that first Christmas day. He is the true stairway. And if you would just put your faith in him, then everything Jacob experienced and more is yours. Amen? It is yours. So let's just come before the Lord right now. And what Jacob did in the final verses of this passage, I want us to do now. But let's just come before the Lord. But in the final verses of Jacob's encounter with God, 
he basically worshipped and committed himself to God. This was Jacob's response to the dream. But he worshipped and committed himself to God. As we bow our heads and come before the Lord, let me just read this. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and he set it up for a pillar. Maybe he was imitating what he saw in the dream. He made the stone maybe look like the stairway, perhaps. So he set it up on its end and then he poured oil on the top of it. Maybe Jacob was representing where he saw God at the very top of that stairway. And so he poured oil on the top of that stone. We don't know for sure, but this could be what Jacob was doing. But he set up this altar. But it was a memorial. It was a way for him to honor and remember and worship God. And then it says in Genesis 28, 20, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. He made a commitment to God. Some people read that and feel like Jacob was bargaining with God, but he wasn't bargaining. He was just saying, God, if everything I saw in my dream, everything I heard is indeed true, then you are my God. You will be my God. And I will follow you. I will worship you. I will commit myself to you. Even if it costs me, he decided to give a tenth of everything he's going to receive back to God. So as we close, I just want to encourage all of us here If you know God, if God has revealed himself to you through the person of Jesus Christ, then you have that stairway to heaven. You have that stairway to God himself and all his promises. And so I just want to encourage you, let's worship. Okay, worship him. Commit yourself to him like Jacob did. Maybe he'll even put upon your heart a sacrifice he wants you to make to honor him. But let's just come before the Lord and then we're going to close. Let's just spend a brief moment doing that. Thank you. You know, I, I just know because I've been in ministry for many years and I've also spoken to many of you. But many of us here, 
I do believe you know the Lord. You know his word. Okay, you know what he did for you. Like Jacob, when he was growing up in Isaac's home, he heard, he knew the promises of God. But it wasn't until this night where he actually encountered the living God. And for some of you, I believe that that day is still yet to come where you haven't actually encountered the living God in a real way. Whether it's by reading scripture or time of prayer alone, where you just know God has spoken, God has given this peace, God has brought this reassurance, God is in this place. Like Jacob, this is an awesome place. God is here. But have you met God in that way? Or is it just a bunch of things you've heard your whole life? Things that you might even agree with. But God wants to meet with you, brothers and sisters. And so I encouraged all of us, even two weeks ago, let this time, the remainder weeks of this year, be a time of fellowship with the Lord. Are you spending time with him? Are you setting aside that time to say, like Jacob, I will not let you go until you bless me. And that's okay to say that. I know it can come across as selfish, but it's not. God is pleased by that. Again, God said, if you come to me and seek me with all your heart, then you will find me. God is pleased by that. God will meet with you. You will encounter the living God. The actual living God. The risen Christ. And it will change everything. Amen. So Father God, we just come before you, Lord. And as we close this service as we look ahead to the new year, Lord God, I pray and ask, just like Jacob, that you would, Father, please reveal yourself to us. And I believe you did just now as we looked at your word. That is the number one way you reveal yourself to us. It is through your word. But Lord God, but let it not be just an exercise in mental knowledge, which even the devil and the demons have, and they shudder. But Lord God, we don't want that kind of knowledge, but we want a living faith. We want an actual encounter with the living God where we have fellowship with you and you have spoken to us that you would reveal things to us in our hearts, that you would show us who you are, show us who we are and begin to work powerfully in our lives. Many of us, like Jacob, we grew up in a household of faith. We grew up as Christians. We probably grew up hearing stories about God our whole lives. And yet, like Jacob, Lord, maybe we have never known the true living God. So, Lord God, please, please reveal yourself. Reveal yourself. Lord Jesus, reveal yourself as the way, as the yes and amen to all of God's promises. As Emmanuel, God with us, reveal yourself. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Okay, let's rise for final worship.